Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm Eric Flickinger, your host, and we're going to continue this week in our journey through the book of Hebrews. This is lesson number three, Jesus the Promised Son. And joining me today once again is the author of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide, that is Dr. Felix Cortez. He is the Associate Professor of New Testament Literature at Andrews University. Pastor Felix, welcome back again. I'm very happy to be here. So let's talk for just a moment before we dive into this week's lesson. The Sabbath School Guide, this quarter's series of 13 lessons, when did this come into being? When, when did you begin working on these 13 lessons on the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews is a phenomenal book. It's a, it's a very deep book. Lots of theology, important theology in there. How did this series of 13 lessons get its origin? How far back did that go? Well, it's a very interesting story, Eric, because I was originally going to write on the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a beautiful gospel. I love it. But when I received the invitation to write on the Gospel of John, it was in 2015. But then a friend of mine who had been asked to write on Hebrews, he told me, you know, I love the Gospel of John. You are an expert on Hebrews because I did my dissertation and my, my, my publications are in the book of Hebrews. So he says, why don't, we, why don't we switch? You write on Hebrews and I write on John. And John, I said, okay, that's very fine. So I then accepted the invitation to, to write on Hebrews. And, and that, was, that meant that my invitation was deferred for two years. So I began to, I received the invitation to write on Hebrews in uh, January 2017. And I was expected to produce a manuscript by January, February 2019. So it was almost four years ago, or a little more than four years ago. So that's a fair bit of, of work. And of course, you've already had a lot of experience in the book of Hebrews. You mentioned doing your, uh, your dissertation on it and so forth. Um, what is a, your official title is the Associate Professor of New Testament Literature? Certainly, Hebrews is part of New Testament literature. What else kind of falls under that umbrella of New Testament literature? Well, basically, I am a professor of biblical theology. I, I, um, I teach at the seminary here at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary, and I teach all courses related to New Testament. But my focus is on several aspects of the New Testament. One is what is called the later New Testament, which is Hebrews, which is uh, the Catholic or general epistles. So those are the areas. I also teach advanced Greek for New Testament students, for doctoral students. I teach advanced Greek. And um, I teach also a, a class that I enjoy very much, which is, which is called Great Controversy, Covenant, Law, and Sabbath. Very full, very Adventist uh, class. So, uh, you know, I get to do what I love, which is to study the Bible and then uh, to go deep into it, to read research, Adventist and non-Adventist research on it. Uh, some of my research is shared with non-Adventists as well as we go to meetings like Society of Biblical Literature. I, I was uh, the coordinator of one of these sections for non-Adventist scholars in the international meeting for, for six years. So it has been it has been really a privilege. I have I have enjoyed that very much. 
And so what we're looking at right now really falls right into the heart of what you've been studying and teaching and sharing for, for many, many years. And we're, we're looking in this week's lesson, lesson three, at Jesus, the promised son. The section of, of the book of Hebrews that we're really focusing on this week is at the beginning of Hebrews chapter uh, one. And, and diving into that, I want to read here Hebrews chapter one. Verses one, two, and three, and we're gonna we're gonna pull a lot out of here. Verse four as well. Verse one says, "God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person." and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now again, there's a lot in these few verses that we've just looked at. But the author of Hebrews, Paul, says he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Paul lived 2,000 years ago. And he considered those to be the last days. We live now 2,000 years on, and I think most of us assume that we live in the last days. What's the significance of the last days with respect to what we're looking at here in the book of Hebrews? That is a very good question. Um, I think Paul believed that Jesus was going to come while he was alive. Of course, that can be debated, and some people think that he didn't believe that. But when I read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, when he says, we who are alive are going to not precede those who have fallen asleep, but we're together, we're going to be uh, taken up uh, and to receive him in the air. He suggests that he believes he's going to be in that, in that moment when Jesus is coming again. Um, so uh, for him, he's living in the last days. But there is another element here, Eric, is that, the last days in the Old Testament has to do with the days in which God's promises were going to be fulfilled. If you go to the Old Testament, this expression in the later days, Daniel 2, Daniel 10, in the later days, what, what, what was going to happen in the later days? God was going to establish his kingdom. What was going to happen in the latter days? The Messiah was going to come. What was going to happen in the latter days? The resurrection of the dead was going to happen. The truth is that all those elements began to happen with the coming of Jesus. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God has been established. Jesus has seated at the right hand of God. With the coming of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead began because Jesus is the firstborn of those who have died. Uh, and so, with, with, the, with the coming of Jesus, the eternal life has begun, because eternal life is to get to know him, right? So, yes, it is the last days, because God's promises in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, sorry, God's promises in the Old Testament have begun to be fulfilled through Jesus. The thing is that those promises have not come to their culmination, it, it, it began the process. The cross began that, but the cross is not the end. The cross is the beginning of the process, 
and, and the culmination of the process is going to be the second coming of Jesus. So, from the point of view of, 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 of Hebrews and other Pauline writings and, and the writings of the New Testament is that the, days, the last days began with Jesus, right? Now, if you go to Daniel, in Daniel there is a different um, expression where it's called the end of time or the time of the end. In, in, in Hebrew, this is et ketz. Okay? That is a different expression. And that refers to the, to the very end of time. And I think that after the coming, the beginning of the uh, pre-advent judgment, after the fulfilling of the um, uh, 2300-day uh, prophecies, um, the 2300 years, right, uh, with the beginning of the, the um, pre-advent judgment, now the time of the end has begun. There are no more prophecies to be fulfilled. So there is this, uh, there is this situation between the, 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 the last days, which can also be called the latter days, and the time of the end, which is not exactly the same thing. And uh, so right now we're living both of them, because the gospel of God through the three angels' message and the, and the prophecies have been fulfilled. Now we're just waiting for Jesus to come. And I think that's really a privilege for us to be able to live during both of those times when we're seeing the fulfillment of these things and we can look forward to the time in the very near future when Jesus is coming back. And here again, at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, in verse number 2, chapter 1, verse 2, it says that God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. How is it that God is speaking to us, those of us living in the last days, uh, just before Jesus' return, during the time when all these things are going to be fulfilled, how is it that he is speaking to us by his Son, and what's the significance of that? Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful promise that we have here, because when Adam and, when Adam and Eve sinned, and they were cast out from the Garden of Eden, it was a very sad day. But at that moment, God promised them that there was going to be a son the seed of the woman. This son was going to be the, the one who was going to conquer the, um, the, the serpent and was going to destroy the serpent and was going to redeem them from the transgression. This promise is repeated in a different way through Abraham. When God says to Abraham, in your seed, your descendant, um, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So the seed of Abraham was the people of Israel. But when you come to, 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 to Paul, Paul in Galatians 2, will say, well, really, the seed is not the whole people. The seed is the Messiah. The seed is one, not many. So, again, the, the, uh, the fulfillment of the, of the promise of a salvation was going to be through a son, a person. And then, when you come to David, God again repeats this promise, but uses a different language now. So, you see, all these three promises are really one and the same promise with different language. God says, you're going to have a son. And, and this son, I will adopt him as my son. He will be a son to me. I will be his father. And he will sit forever in your throne. And when that happens, 
Israel will going to be is going to live secure in his place. No one is going to not going to bring uh, you know to to bring problems to them. They are going to have rest. So you have the promise of a seed to David, and Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those promises. Jesus is the son of Adam. Luke one thirty no Luke. Uh, 3.38, I, th- I think it's, it's, you have the genealogy of Luke uh, in Luke that goes up to Adam. Jesus is the son of Adam. But also, Jesus is the son of Abraham. Galatians 2.13, 14, 15, 16. But Jesus is also the seed of David. Uh, Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. And other passages as well. So, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these Promises, but now let me tell you something. Another secret here: if if it's, uh, those who are hearing us, they have different versions of the Bible, are going to find a, a very interesting difference. If you go to the NASB, I think if I remember correctly, the NASB says that God has spoken to us in His Son. If you go to the ESV, it's going to say God has spoken to us by His Son. You know the difference is very little but significant. In, in Greek, the, the, the preposition "n" can mean in or by. So both of them are correct. But in, in the NASB, Jesus is the message. In, in the ESV, Jesus is the messenger. You see, there is a little bit of difference there. I think both of them are right. But I like more the NASB. Because... When you go to the NASB and Jesus is the message and you go to Hebrews, you find that, that that is what God is saying. Look to Jesus. What I'm, going, what I'm doing with him, I want to do with you. He is your forerunner. Forerunner means that he's the one who is going ahead of you. If he's sitting at my right hand, I'm going to sit you at my right hand. If I resurrect him, I'm going to resurrect you. If he enters into the most holy place, we are going to enter within the veil into the most holy place. Jesus is the, the forerunner. So the message is him. So we, we don't need only to hear him. We need to look at him. What happened with him is going to happen to us. Jesus is the message. That is a very important distinction that we have in Hebrews, which, which um, is important for us to, to have in mind. That's encouraging that what Jesus is experiencing now is what we will get to experience in the not too distant future if we remain faithful to him. We're going to come back and continue looking at Jesus, the promised son. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, be sure to visit the It Is Written shop, itiswritten.shop, and to check out the companion book to this quarter's study on the book of Hebrews you will be blessed as you delve more deeply into the subjects that the book of Hebrews covers. We're going to continue looking at Jesus, the promised son, when we come back in just a moment. When people think of India, they often think of the Taj Mahal or Indian food. But what you probably won't think about is the staggering number of blind people that live in India. Sadly, more than 15 million blind call India home. And it doesn't have to be that way, because many of India's blind could see again if only they could afford cataract surgery. Today, we are asking you to donate to this life-changing work. It takes just $75 to give one person the precious gift of sight. 
To donate, please visit our special website, itiswritten.com forward slash eyes for India, or call us. Our number is 1-844-974-8836. That's 1-844-974-8836. For only $75, you can open the eyes of the blind. Call today, 1-844-974-8836. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're digging through lesson number three in our study of the book of Hebrews. And on Tuesday's lesson, it references a passage or a section of a passage here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And it says that Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now, this is a passage that's pulled from the Old Testament. Why is this passage, this concept so important? Well, this passage describes the nature of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. You see, human beings were made in the image of God. Jesus, however, is not the image, is not the reflection of the glory of God. We reflect the glory of God. At least originally we did. But Jesus is the radiance, the effulgence, the the real thing. He is the perfect, the expressed image of his person. But the original says expressed image of his nature. It uses the word in Hebrew for for essence. Okay, so hypostasis is the the, the Greek word, essence. So Jesus is God. They share the same essence, the same nature. The difference is, that Jesus, in taking human, human nature, has made the person of God visible to us. So just as we cannot see the sun, we just see the radiance of the sun. The same way we see Jesus. Just as we don't see the seal, but we see the mark that the seal leaves on, on, the, um, you know, on the paper. The same way Jesus is that mark that has a perfect accordance with the seal in terms of its nature and being. Now, part of who God is, we we recognize Jesus is is far above us as far as uh, hierarchy goes in the universe. He is the the essence of God. He has that same radiance. There's a passage here in chapter 1, verse 2. It says that God, that is the Father, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You know, all the way back in the book of Genesis, it says, uh, in the beginning, God you know, created. He made the heavens, the earth, and so forth. We see in Colossians 1.16, Paul attributes the, the creatorship to, to the Son. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I think 14, talks about Jesus being the creator. And here again, we see that the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus having made the worlds. Why is that important to us today? You see, because in the Old Testament, only God can create. That is the difference between God and every other creature, right? And, and the fact that God created everything from nothing, that is the basis for God's function as judge. God has authority over everything because he is the creator of everything. If he was not the creator of everything, he didn't have authority over everything. So Jesus 
is a creator. That's why in verse 10, you, say, you find that Hebrews refers to Jesus in those languages. You, Lord, refers to Jesus. You, Lord. In the beginning, lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. You have here the reference to heavens and earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Basically, what the author is saying here, Paul is saying here, Jesus is Yahweh. is the creator that we find in, in the Old Testament. That is a very high uh, understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is no creature. Jesus is the creator, which is a, a really important thing. Now, I, I, I need to say something very quickly. Is that sometimes we think that God is something like the creator and Jesus is like the, the, the agent. Uh, in the sense that God is like the architect and Jesus is like the mason, right? But that is not really what is happening in, in the Bible. You see, in, 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 in Hebrews 1, verses 2, the, the heavens and the earth are created by and through Jesus. If you go to Hebrews 2.10, the world is created through the Father. Both of them are creators and both of them are agents of creation. So you're going to go to passages like Romans 11, 35, 36, where God is the agent of creation. And you go to Colossians 1, 15, 16, where Jesus is the agent of creation. Hebrews 1, 2, Jesus is the creator, the agent of creation. Hebrews 2, 10, the Father is the agent of creation. Both of them are creators and agents of creators. A beautiful picture again of, of what Jesus does for us and and who he is to us. You know, and we've just come a few verses into the book of Hebrews and we see that that Jesus has the brightness, the brilliance of the Father. We see that he's the one uh, through whom the worlds were created. And then we get to an interesting passage here in verse number five. We've read verses one through three. Let's read verses four and five and and kind of pull this apart a little bit. Verse four, speaking of Jesus says, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What is this passage here in verse number five, today I have begotten you? What's the significance of that? This passage is very significant because you see, some people think, oh, this passage means that Jesus was, uh, Jesus had a beginning. God begot him at some moment in eternity. In, in, so in that sense, Jesus had a beginning. He is God, but not exactly like the Father. You see, God is eternal in the past. Jesus is eternal in the future, but not eternal in the past. So you have these, these differences here. Now, the first thing that we need to record, this thing, understand here, is that this passage is really a quotation of 2 Samuel 7. If we go to 2 Samuel 7, we're going to find that it says the following. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7 says uh, the following. Um, God says to, 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 to David in his promises to David, 2 Samuel 7, 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and your rest with your fathers. 
I will set up your seed after you. Again, the, the, the language of seed and son, okay? Who will become from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. This is the passage that is quoted in Hebrews 1.5. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. You know, in the Old Testament times, kings were considered to be sons of the gods. You know, the Roman emperor was Philidibius. That is to say, he was a son of, of, of God. The pharaoh, pharaoh was son of God. Because that, that was, gave, him, gave them the authority to rule. Because they were inheritors of God. But in the Old Testament, what Jesus is saying, what God is saying, the Davidic son that I'm pro promising you, he is going to be the one I will adopt as my son, meaning I will protect him, I will bless him, I will guide him. He will be my son. He will have that relationship with him, with me. Now, when did Jesus become a son? Not in eternity past, but when he seated at the right hand of God in fulfillment of the Davidic promises. You go with me to Romans. You see Romans 1, uh, you, you go to Romans uh, 1, chapters uh, 4 and following, you're going to find what is happening here. It says, it says verse uh, 4 and 5. Um, verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. And look at this, verse 4. Declared to be the son of God with power according to to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared to be son of God in power according to the resurrection from the flesh. Why? Because when Jesus was resurrected, he seated at the right hand of God and fulfilled the promises made to David that his son was going to sit at the right hand of God. You have the same idea in, 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 in Acts 13. Acts 13. If you go to Acts 13, verse, uh, verses 32, it says, And we declare to you glad tidings, that that promise which God, which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So, Jesus was begotten, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Not in eternity past, but when he fulfilled the promises made to David. That's why when Jesus was announced in Luke one thirty one and following, says that you will have a son, God said to Mary through the angel. And he will be called the son of the Most High, and I will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus became the son of God when he fulfilled the promise made to David, when he seated at the right hand of God after his resurrection. Beautiful picture that we have here of Jesus, the promised son. Pastor Felix, once again, thank you so much for joining us this week. We are looking forward to having you back again next week as we continue digging into the book of Hebrews, and we look forward to seeing you as well.